It's time now for the complete story, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here's the BRN father and son team, Dick and Rich Bot, with today's complete story. Uh, you know, Rich, as we are progressing now forward, uh, there are so many issues. And along with life itself, I got another phone call from one of my dear friends who... Uh, has been diagnosed with a life-threatening health problem. By the way, folks, it isn't COVID. Life goes on. Uh, but it is serious at his age and everything else. And that's the way life is, isn't it? We have to deal with life as we go along. But then who do we trust? Isn't that kind of the thing that lingers in the heart of everybody, Rich? Who can I trust and who will help me? Right, and that's why we trust in Jesus. He's the one that will never fail. Yeah. So, folks, let's open the program today with this song, When Jesus Heard My Prayer. And then I think it'll be a blessing to you as well as it is to us. I'll never be the same since Jesus heard my prayer. My whole life has changed since Jesus heard my prayer. There's love in my heart. For people everywhere And it happened When Jesus heard my prayer Darkness had to flee When Jesus heard my prayer My soul was set free When Jesus heard my prayer A new life began While on my knees there And it happened When Jesus heard my prayer because of the blood he shed on the cross To heaven he's opened the way If you will believe with all of your heart Jesus will hear you today I never heard a sound when Jesus heard my prayer I felt angels all around When Jesus heard my prayer He lifted sin's burden Took away all my cares And it happened When Jesus heard my prayer Because of the blood He shed on the cross To heaven He's opened the way If you believe with all of your heart Jesus will hear you today I'll never be the same since Jesus heard my prayer my whole life has changed since Jesus heard my prayer there's love in my heart for people everywhere and it happened when Jesus heard my prayer. Yes, it happened when Jesus heard my prayer. Yeah. You know, folks, who wants to live in fear? Who wants to live in fear? But if you can't turn to the Lord and you can't trust him, the giver of life, to see it through and know exactly well, where the end of the game is, 
Well, then you're in bad shape, aren't you? Yeah, if you haven't prayed to ask Jesus into your heart and save you from your sins, there's no better time to do that than right now. Yeah. Rich, wouldn't it be something to live in California again uh, with that recall election and the way that all turned out, you know? I mean, my word, just stop and think. You can't let your children outside and their bare feet because they might be stepping on needles. Uh, if they're on the beach or in the grass, I mean, it is a mess. Of course, they have the very wealthy people, the multimillionaires, the billionaires. Why, they seem to be happy as a lark. And their kids are going to find schools and being educated. The rest of the population are just, their children are kind of treated like throwaways. And they're just indoctrinated with things we couldn't have even dreamt about. I think it's in Proverbs where the Bible says, where the wicked are in authority, the people mourn. But when the righteous rule, the people rejoice. What can be done, do you think, Rich, to wake up the church? Uh, If we just think the government is going to do it, or if we think that some big shot is going to come along, but when is the church? And I don't mean this denomination or that denomination. I'm saying when is the church going to wake up and realize that one plus one is two, gravity pulls, and the rain falls, and for goodness sake, let's get a few things straight. Hmm. And that always starts with prayer. Well, you know, Paul Harvey, when he was alive, he recorded thoughts that he had in his head at that time. What would he do if he were the devil, you know? After all, if he was the devil, what would he do to tear a society apart, to tear at the human art, to really turn things upside down? So Paul Harvey recorded, if I were the devil. And we've used it before, but it really is true. Let's hear it now. If I were the devil, if I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness, and I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population, but I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree, the So I'd set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve. Do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And the old, I would teach to pray after me, our Father, Chart in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves until each in its turn was consumed, and with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions, just let those run wild. Until before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing, I'd have judges promoting pornography, 
Soon I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who wanted until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. And what'll you bet? I couldn't get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich. I would caution against extremes in hard work, in patriotism, in moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. And thus I could undress you in public, and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. Paul Harvey. Good day. Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that something to think about, Rich? Right. From the day he recorded that till now, the devil has been doing that same thing and see where we are today. I have friends who tell me they no longer want to watch news programs because this is all you see. And, uh, and look who's in the White House. Now, please don't misunderstand. I'm not talking about Democrats or Republicans. I'm talking about the character of the people who are in the White House as well as in Congress and too often the Senate. The character, the personal character of people knowing right from wrong and then being a leader and taking a stand on it. Well. Uh, but California and the, knows and the all policies, about that, don't they? And the policies that are enacted, uh, whether they accord with the Bible or run counter to the Bible. Um, you know, Rich, uh, I don't suppose many young people, or certainly those in school now, but many young people know much about American history. And believe me, history is something everybody should be schooled in and know about. But one thing is sure— People were able to struggle and try and overcome problems and do the right thing. But then little by little by little, by turning to the left, turning to the left, um, Paul Harvey said we just have gone in circles. But I think it's really worse than that. I think it's a spiral downward. And anyway, he recorded another thing. And folks, listen to this now from freedom, freedom. This is what every human heart longs for, to be free from freedom walking backward into chains. Um, that's what we're doing, and that's what we have been doing, and we're kind of a long ways down that route. But here is, the, here is Paul Harvey's recording from freedom to chains. Let's listen to it. Now then, what makes a nation strong? Taxes? There's nothing new about those either. The first income tax was paid by Abraham. It was written on a rock by the hand of divinity and handed to Moses at the top of Mount Sinai. And you might want to remember this. It was at the flat rate of 10%. It promised the wrath of God on anybody who tampered with or violated that law. Christ was born in Bethlehem because Joseph was on his way to pay his taxes. Joseph was a relatively well-to-do landowner of the house and lineage of David. 
Yet the taxes exacted by Caesar Augustus were so exorbitant that he didn't have enough money left over to employ a trusted messenger for the mission, so though his wife was great with child, he made the journey himself. And Christ was born in Bethlehem because Joseph was on his way to pay his taxes. And Christ was born in a manger because there was a housing shortage when he got there. Our problems are not new. At Runnymede, the Magna Carta was handed to King John on the end of a sword denying to royalty the right of unlimited taxation. Yet you know it was for us, the American people, to become the first in recorded history ever voluntarily to surrender our rights to private property. Oh, yes, we did. With an innocent-sounding constitutional amendment, the 16th, which says that Congress shall have the power to lay and collect taxes on incomes from whatever source derived. And we forgot to put any limit on the extent to which we could tax ourselves. Conceivably, we could be taxed out of all private property. We could be taxed not 70%, 80%, 90%, but 100%. We could awaken one morning and find that the government owns the farm and the house and the car and has a mortgage on the church, legally. Historically, whenever any nation has taxed its people more than 25% of their national income, initiative was destroyed and that nation was headed for economic eclipse. Presently, the American people are being taxed 33% of their total income. History says we'll roll forward on momentum for a little while, but we'd better get some more gas in the tank pretty quick. You see, ours is not the first by George good government to arise on the world stage. There have been several. Rome, Spain, and Greece, and China, and each enjoyed about 150 years at its zenith. That's just about our time in the New World. And then each decayed away. Not one of them was ever destroyed by anybody else's marching legions. Each rotted away, morally, socially, culturally, economically, simultaneously. You know, one of the most cruel paradoxes of history is this. Because each was a good government, it bore bountiful fruit. And when it bore bountiful fruit, the people got fat. And when they got fat, they got lazy. And when they got lazy, they began to want to absolve themselves of personal responsibility and turn over to government to do for them things which traditionally they had been doing for themselves. At first, there appears to be nothing wrong asking government to perform some extra service for you, but if you ask government for extra services, government, in order to perform its increasing function, has to get bigger, right? And as government gets bigger, in order to support its increasing size, it has to what? Tax the individual more, so the individual gets littler. And to collect the increased taxes requires more tax collectors, so the government gets bigger, and in order to pay the additional tax collectors, it has to tax the individual more, so the government gets bigger, and the individual gets littler. And the government gets bigger, and the individual gets littler, until the government is all-powerful. The individual is hardly anything at all. The government is all-powerful. The people are cattle. Now, some believe that the need is for a vigorous, strong man to arise on the scene to regulate and regiment the affairs of men. Yet history tells us there have been several such. Once upon a time, there was a nation great and powerful and good. She was suffering from the aftermath of war, from a depression. And then came upon the scene a leader, an idealist, self-confident, intolerant of criticism. Wisely, he limited his early activities to combating the financial depression. Nobody could argue with that. But in a while, he began to regulate business and establish new rules to govern commerce and finance. Some of them in 
diametrical disagreement with the God-made laws of supply and demand, but anybody who disagreed with those new rules was promptly fired. The new leader saw that under the old system of free enterprise, landlords prospered, so he levied new taxes to take away their profits and destroy what he called the monopoly of capital. To please laborers, he controlled prices. To win the favor of the farmers, he gave them loans and subsidies. The national debt mounted alarmingly. Whenever anybody tried to tell him that governments, even as people, can go broke when they spend beyond their incomes, he said they just didn't understand deficit finance. Well, what do you say? Did he build on rock or on sand? I say on sand. For you see, this was the story of Emperor Su Tung Po, who led China to its doom more than a thousand years ago. I am satisfied with all my heart that if Uncle Sam ever does get whipped, here too, it will have been an inside job. It was internal decay, it was not external attack that destroyed the Roman Empire. Starting about 146 B.C., internal conditions in Rome were characterized by a welter of class wars and conflicts, street brawls, corrupt governors, lack of personal integrity and moral responsibility. About 290 years after Christ, a Roman emperor named Diocletian took over. He really grabbed the bull by the horns. He took over in a period of turmoil and severe depression. The first thing Diocletian did was call in the gold and close the banks and raise the taxes. He reduced the power of the Senate, delegated its power to a lot of little government bureaus. Do you know they even had a transportation act back there prescribing the fee required to rent one laden ass per mile? And at today's rate of exchange, it would have amounted to about one-eighth cent per mile, which meant that in order to make a profit, a jackass would have to carry five passengers? That was simply beyond the capacity of the jackass. Diocletian put millions of people on the public payroll, but when this failed to do the job, the country was still in trouble. He asked more personal powers for himself. For a brief while, incidentally, they were standby powers, but then he used them all at once. He froze wages, he froze prices, he froze jobs, he stopped profits, he dictated to the farmer what he should plant, when and how he should sell it, and for how much, and he rationed food. And what happened? The labor market closed down. Incentive was gone. Farm life became dependent on bureaucratic red tape. Exorbitant taxes cost the farmer his land. He kept for himself only a small plot on which he might grow turnips for his family. He lost the rest of it to the state. And without food and with incentive gone, city life stagnated and declined. And Rome passed into what history has recorded as the Dark Ages, lasting a thousand years. Just by turning to the left, the world has gone in circles. A nation would evolve from a monarchy into an oligarchy, from oligarchy to dictatorship, from dictatorship to bureaucracy, from bureaucracy to pure democracy, where finally the people would cry out from the chaos and confusion of the streets, oh, please, God, give us a king, and God would give them a king, and they'd have a monarchy again and start the whole silly cycle anew. Now, either we will profit from the errors of their ways, or it follows as the night, the day, our children are going to have to relive the dark ages all over again. How come after thousands of years of experiment, our new nation has come so far, so fast? All this in less than 200 years. What is the secret of our success? 
Well, I think it had to do with a basic American's creed. Perhaps it never passed the pioneer's lips in this form, but if it had, I think he would have said something like this. I believe in my God, in my country, and in myself. I know that sounds like a trite, too simple thing to say, and yet it's a rare man today who will dare to stand up and say, I believe in my God and my country and in myself, and in that order. When the early American pioneer first turned his eyes toward the West, there were only Indian trails or traces, as they were called, for him to follow through the wilderness. Do you know today you can roller skate from Miami to Seattle, from San Diego to Plymouth Rock? In this little bitty instant, as historical time has measured, our 7% of the Earth's population has come to possess more than half of all the world's good things. How come? Well, sir, when that early pioneer turned his eyes toward the West, he didn't demand that somebody else look after him. He didn't demand a free education. He didn't demand a guaranteed rocking chair at eventide. He didn't demand that somebody else take care of him if he got ill or got old. There was an old-fashioned philosophy in those days that a man was supposed to provide for his own and for his own future. He didn't demand a maximum amount of money for a minimum amount of work. Nor did he expect pay for no work at all. Come to think of it, he didn't demand anything. That hard-handed pioneer just looked out there at the rolling plains, stretching away to the tall green mountains, and then lifted his eyes to the blue skies and said, Thank you, God. Now I can take it from here. Now that spirit isn't dead in our country. It's dormant. It's been discredited in some circles, driven underground, but it isn't dead. It's just that a few seasons ago, politicians baiting their hooks with free barbecue and trading a Ponzi promise for votes began telling us, We don't want opportunity anymore. We want security. We don't want opportunity, they said. We want security. And they said it so often we came to believe them. We wanted security. And they gave us chains, and we were secure. Suddenly, with our constitutional guarantees depleted, with our national character eroding away, with our tax laws penalizing those who dare to prosper, with workers concentrating on how little they can get by with instead of how much they can produce, suddenly we looked overhead one day to discover that the first tin moon in space was a Russian accomplishment. That free men dragging their feet had been outdistanced by slave workers dragging their chains. And we were sore afraid. Perhaps this was a disguised blessing too. Maybe a dramatic accomplishment by this Cold War adversary was necessary to get us off our dead centers and back to work again. If we can revive in ourselves, then in our youth, Something of that basic American's creed, the horizon has never, ever been so limitless. For man stands now on the threshold of his highest adventure of all, his first faltering footsteps into space. Twenty years from today, half of the products you will be using in your everyday living aren't even in the dictionary yet. We've got it made. If we just keep on keeping on, we've got it made. And if we don't, we will follow those other great nation-states of history into the graveyard of ignominious oblivion. History promises only this for certain. We will get exactly what we deserve. Isn't that something? And so much of what he talked about has come to pass. And if we're not careful and if we don't turn to God, more is coming. Rich, I'm looking at a quote, a direct quote from President Harry Truman. Now, he was a Democrat from Missouri. I think most of our listeners would remember that. But look what Harry Truman said in his time. 
He said the basis of our Bill of Rights comes from the teachings we get from Exodus and St. Matthew, from Isaiah and St. Paul. I don't think we emphasize that enough these days, he went on to say. If we don't have a proper, fundamental, moral background, we will finally end up with a government that does not believe in rights for anyone except the state. Now, that was Democrat Harry Truman. Name one Democrat. Name one that has said the same thing or even believed the same thing or expressed anything similar. And so it isn't Democrat or Republican. It's what is happening to the moral and spiritual character of our leaders. Well, I suppose we elect people that are in office, like Paul Harvey said, for a Ponzi promise, for something for nothing, and it becomes a joke, doesn't it? What would you say? Well, um, I'm hopeful we'll have a chance to hear from a couple of our listeners. Okay, let's hear Let's hear you. Well, right. Let me give our listener comment line number because we'd like to hear from you. Uh, 1-800-345-2621. This first one is a man who is thankful to Bot Radio Network because it helps him in his walk with the Lord. Just want to express my gratitude for the Bot Radio station. So grateful, thankful that the Lord's blessed you all broadcast that you put out to our nation, and it helps us to walk in the ways of the Lord. Right, and this next one is a lady, and Bot Radio Network helps as she's walking with the Lord. Hi, I just want to call in what you guys all know, how much I enjoy listening to all the preaching. It has totally given me strength and encouragement and the faith that I need to walk with the Lord, and it's just um, so inspiring each and every day. And, Dad, even pastors uh, love Bot Radio Network because it helps them as they feed on the Word of God. Here's a pastor from southwest Missouri. My name is Jared, and I listen to the Bot Radio station down here in southwest Missouri. I absolutely love Bot Radio. It encourages me. I've been a pastor for 22 years, and I love to listen to Brother Adrian Rogers. And I love to listen to Brother Jay Vernon McGee. They encourage me, edify me, and that's important. Thank you for what Bot Network does. Oh, dear Pastor, you encourage us also. Absolutely. It's a two-way street, that's for sure. Yes, this lady listens as she goes to work and back home from work. Yes, I listen to Bot Radio every day. I have a half-hour drive to work, so I listen to a sermon on the way to work and on the way home. And I so appreciate Dr. Jeremiah and especially John MacArthur and Insight for Living. What is the phone number? Thank you, folks. Um, Listen, the phone number is 1-800-345-2621. Give us Uh, a call. And we're out of time again. This is Dick Bott uh, with with my son, Rich, with this chapter, The Complete Story, as a public service. And we'll see you later.